Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these earliest published episodes have accurate information in them. For this episode, I'd like to comment that we kept referring to my endometriosis surgeon throughout this episode as an endometriosis specialist, but there is no such thing as an endometriosis specialist because there is no formal standard in gynecology to qualify to use that title. So a doctor can call themselves an endometriosis specialist, an endometriosis expert, but maybe they're only doing ablation or maybe they're only prescribing hormone suppression and they're not even doing excision. So what we should have said was excision surgeon. On my website in 16years.com, and I've linked it in the show notes, I have a really extensive write-up on treatment options for endometriosis as well as how to find an excision surgeon. So I also want to say that we mentioned imaging, such as MRI or an ultrasound for endometriosis. But I just want to clarify that not all forms of endometriosis can be seen on scans. Typically, superficial endometriosis cannot be seen on scans, but endometriomas or deep infiltrating endometriosis may be seen. What's really important is how the scans are done, the machine used, and the expertise of who is reading the scans. So scans can rule in endometriosis as a potential diagnosis, but they cannot rule out endometriosis. And the last thing that I want to mention before we let the episode play is that we talk about how a doctor quote-unquote diagnosed me with anxiety when I went to him for period pain and he did an ultrasound and it came back negative. And so instead of investigating my physical symptoms further, he just diagnosed me with a mental health condition and then he wrote anxiety in my medical chart without doing any kind of psychological evaluation or mental health assessment or question asking or symptom comparison to the DSM-5, which classifies mental health disorders in the United States. So in this episode, we incorrectly said that gynecologists, at least here in the United States, cannot diagnose or address a person's mental health condition, but since recording, we learned that they can. And so I think the question comes down to, should they, and when is it appropriate that they do? 
So for example, if your gynecologist does a depression screening with a questionnaire and, you know, they pick up on recent symptoms of depression or they recognize that you are having postpartum depression and they help you get the diagnosis and the treatment that you need, then that is fantastic. But what they shouldn't be doing is what my gynecologist did to me is where he blamed my period pain on anxiety without doing any kind of workup for anxiety. So if you feel that you were wrongly told that you have a mental health condition, you can speak directly to your doctor about your concerns. You can ask them why they gave you this diagnosis, what assessments were done to reach this diagnosis, and or you can get a second opinion or a referral to a licensed mental health professional. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today is going to be all about how I feel. Amy feels a lot of things. I have a lot of feelings right now (laughs) because about three and a half weeks ago, I just had excision surgery for stage four endometriosis. So I'm feeling a lot of feelings after I went to the post-op appointment with my super skilled, amazing excision surgeon. I got the photos and I got the post-op report from him and from the colorectal surgeon that was the co-team surgeon with him. And yeah, I'm feeling a lot of things. And I thought that today I would talk about it um, with Brittany, actually, to tell Brittany She's been withholding this from me for like a whole week. Yeah, I haven't told her how the the, the post-op report went so we could record it I was just there when she woke up, but I didn't go to the post-op appointment. (laughs) I was traveling because, you know, Jet said her. No, I'm just kidding. So she's been holding this back from me. And so I'm really ready to talk and look at the photos and talk about the post-op. We're going to look at the photos live. Yes, I haven't seen them. them Because when I saw them, I was like, oh, my, cannot even believe that was inside of me. So yeah, and I thought we would talk about this because I'm I'm curious to know how how you felt when you were first diagnosed with endo. Was it rage, shock, sadness, all of those things? Relief. Ooh, I also felt relief. Mm-hmm. All the emotions. So for those of you who are new, I'm 33 years old and I just got diagnosed with endo this year. And I've been living with endo for 16 years, but I have the kind of the typical story where none of these doctors caught it. And you went to several doctors. Yeah, but I just, I think that they really, they didn't know how to recognize the symptoms of endo. And a few of them just, like, outright dismissed me. Actually, let's talk for a minute about those doctors. We have the time. (laughs) Do we? (laughs) We can make the time. Yes, we can. (laughs) I went to the doctors in my teens and in my early 20s. And I would tell them how painful my period is. Not painful, debilitating, excruciating pain that caused me to throw up and moan and writhe on the floor. Well, Amy, in my expert doctored opinion, it's normal to have pain. Oh, the pain is normal? Really? Is it normal for your mom to call an ambulance one of the first times you get your period because you almost passed out from the pain? Is it normal to be afraid of intercourse because sex causes those same raging, debilitating cramps for hours after sex ends? Is it normal to scream when you poop because it feels like someone is slicing your anus with a knife? Is that normal? Well, it can't be that bad. Oh, great. 
would you tell it to my roommate because she no longer wants to live with me because of all the screaming and sobbing and moaning that I do when my period comes? She can't have guests over or whatever. It's uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's freaking uncomfortable for me, let me tell you. Oh, you're uncomfortable? Oh, you're uncomfortable? I'm sorry. I'm going going back to the doctors. Back to the doctors. Oh, and then another one said to me, go ahead, Dr. Brittany. I don't know what you're talking about. Diarrhea is not a symptom of periods. Is that why when my period comes, I use the bathroom about 30 times a day, and once I was even hospitalized for dehydration from my period diarrhea? And sometimes I've even pooped myself because I haven't made it to the bathroom in time. And by the way, when you throw up, you should definitely be sitting on the toilet if you don't want to poop yourself. True. top tips. <laughs> Surviving your period with Amy, <laughs> sit on the toilet and puke in a bucket. Which she actually Do not still go does. into the squatting <laughs> position and try to puke into the toilet because you will severely regret your life choices. Everything you've just done. But lo and behold, Brittany, lo and behold. Not a symptom. When my period ends, my bowel movements return to, well, I want to say normal, but they, re- they, they calm down. You know, they return to my quote unquote normal. Must just be a coincidence. Yeah, but there's absolutely no re- this no happens, correlation. This only happens every single period for like this only happens every month for a week, <laughs> five years, you know. But no, 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 there's no, there's no correlation between my period and diarrhea, like zero, like zip, like none, like nothing. How about my next favorite one? You're good at being the doctor. I know. <laughs> my also personal favorite is well, the ultrasound doesn't show anything, and. My diagnosis is anxiety. I recommend going on antidepressants because gynecologists are actually psychiatrists now and can prescribe medication for things to do with reproductive organs. But anyway, I digress. So is my psychiatrist giving a pap smear now? I think it sounds like, yeah, you can just do everything. Is that what's going on? Yeah. And then he's going to show, he's going to like do a pap smear and he's going to show it to me and be like, how does this pap smear make you feel what like does those Rorschach feel like an ink blot? <laughs> yes, they're just like, you know, I see doing a, whatever they want. I see a butterfly. What do you see, Brittany? Menstrual blood. <laughs> and how does that make you feel? Angry. <laughs> gallons and gallons of menstrual blood. <laughs> and that gynecologist that diagnosed me with anxiety? Mm-mm, he wasn't a gynecologist. What was he? He was a psychogynecologist to Trist. Right? Because <laughs> he was both, right? Oh, wait, no, he wasn't. He was a gynecologist. And the two professions merge. Psychology <laughs> and gynecology become one. Only he had no right to diagnose you with a mental health. Guess what anything. he did? It gets even better. So he he took out, and I'm, I really, I'm not making this up, okay? He took out his notepad. His script pad? Yes, the one you write diagnosis on, like the one you prescribe medicine on. And mm-hmm. he took it out with his pen from his little pocket thingy in his shirt. And he's like, my diagnosis. And he started scribbling something on there. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm getting a oh my God, diagnosis. Something's wrong with me. I was very excited because I didn't know what was wrong with me all these years. And he handed it to me and it said anxiety. What a joy killer. So after all of that, I just stopped talking to the guy in a call. The guy in a put- <laughs> the guy in a <laughs> Well, now I'm like, is it a psychiatrist? I, know, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what it is anymore. I stopped talking to the gynecologist about my pain because none of them were trying to help me. And then I just looked for ways to deal with it 
on my own. So a new symptom popped up. Like I've always had a little bit of pain during intercourse or it's been uncomfortable. But then about a year ago, I began having like that same period. Like my endo period pain is so nightmarish and so inappropriate. And when it started happening during intercourse and then lasting for like, I mean, hours after like 21 hours, 10, 15, 20 hours Mm -hmm. after intercourse, you know, my back would be breaking in half and my uterus would be like as if acid was poured all over it. So anyway, I was like, okay, it's fine. fine. (laughs) Well, this, this is not acceptable to me. So I decided to go to the doctor. Anyways, I went to two doctors. They were like, oh, I'm on birth control. And another one was like, oh, we can't help you. I'm sorry you suffer. And then this third, very caring, very my hero, wonderful, caring gynecologist, she basically said, you know, I think you have endometriosis. The word, it was released. The idea was planted. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it hadn't even dawned on me that I might have endometriosis. And that makes me feel kind of sad because I just feel like maybe I was so brainwashed by all these doctors of my youth and I was just told basically that it was all in my head and I feel like then maybe I convinced myself of the same thing that that was my reality that like I was just hysterical or that I just had anxiety and I internalized that and I and I brought that with me and then that kind of became like my living reality was that no, I don't have endo. Oh, these period, these debilitating period cramps, that's just my normal and there's nothing wrong with me. And that level of doubt that you had, literally, I remember you waking up from the surgery in which they took photographs of your endometriosis. You looked at me and you said, are you sure it's really endo? And I was like, yes, you've been diagnosed like three times by now. But you had this such this deep seated doubt. That even upon seeing pictures, you're like, maybe they're wrong. Maybe it's not really what it is. Because you had literally taken and internalized that doubt, even against your own body. So it took so much convincing for you to accept that you actually had a diagnosis. It was really extreme. And I remember when, when that gynecologist said, I think you have endometriosis, and she left the room. And then I started sobbing. I mean, like, I totally lost it. And... You know, it was a suspected diagnosis at that time because I hadn't had surgery to confirm it. But it was such a relief. It was the first time somebody said they thought you might actually have something that had a word that was legitimate. So that's a big deal. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the thing is, I think for a lot of us out there, it's like we're living with these really unbearable symptoms. We're struggling a lot of times to just to get through the day with the pain and just just all the it's so hard. And it has no identity. It has no validation. It almost doesn't feel real. And certainly in the eyes of a lot of people, I feel like when your illness has no name, it's not real. In the eyes of coworkers, your teachers, your friends, even possibly your family, it's not real if there's not a name and a diagnosis. And so just hearing her say, I think you might have endometriosis was like, maybe, it's a thing. I maybe have something. there is something. Mm-hmm. So once a seed was planted that I might have endo, then I really, I became basically obsessed. She took off, (laughs) went into full flight mode. I had to find out. It became my life's purpose. It really was. Do I have endo? I must know. (laughs) But yeah. So, well, and also, I mean, the thing is, because a lot of my symptoms were about with IBS and like chronic diarrhea and- A lot of bowel problems. Yeah, a lot of digestive problems, which now makes sense because it was literally off my bowel. My bowel was fused to the back wall of my pelvis. 
So, of course, it was probably really hard. I was having some problems. (laughs) My bowel had a hard time working. (laughs) But, you know, I had done two colonoscopies, an upper endoscopy, an upper GI barium thing where you, like, drink barium. And they they had done so many tests for digestion and then even done, like, neurological tests because I was really ridiculous fatigued, you know. And then I had all this body pain everywhere, which probably now we know is from the inflammation from the endo. And so I just, I really, I was really, really sick. No one found anything wrong. So then it's just when it was like, I could actually know the reason why, or at least one of the reasons why I'm so ill all the time. Yeah, it was just, I have to find out. I began trying to research more about endometriosis, but it's can be so hard because there's so much misinformation out there. There are so many myths and misconceptions. And I was so lucky I was in some other Facebook group for endo and some, you know, and they were talking about like finding a doctor and they mentioned this Facebook group called Nancy's Nook Endometriosis Education. I went and I joined that group. It is a closed group. And I joined that group and I was blown away. The phenomenal amount of resources they have. It's kind of like a little library of files and you do like self-research It is so empowering and it is in that group, which I highly recommend to just educate and empower yourself on this horrific disease. And I learned basically that looking into the kind of care that I decided that I wanted, if I did have endo, I decided I did want to see a excision surgery specialist and I wanted to see someone who specializes in endometriosis, who sees endometriosis regularly, who is basically like an endo specialist and who knows how to treat it via excision surgery. So I finally managed to find an excision specialist in my area Woohoo! via Nancy's Nook. <laughs> then I went to see him. It is just so funny because the doubt just continued to permeate everything. And I went to that appointment and we talked about my symptoms and he did a pain mapping exam. So he just basically like did a digital exam, I think it's called, but he puts his fingers in while he's pressing on your abdomen. So he's feeling in there and feeling if you're having pain. And I had a lot of pain where it's like touching the bowel part. And so he said to me in that appointment, okay, I'm 99% sure that you have endometriosis. But I didn't believe it. Yeah, but I wasn't. And I and I literally was it's so it's just it's so funny, because I have spent countless hours and effort throughout 16 years throughout my teens and 20s begging the doctors to believe me like sometimes I would break down sobbing and be like no I'm telling you there's something wrong and I have pain it is not normal and they were like yeah whatever it seems normal to me birth control is the answer and so all these years I've been struggling and pushing for someone to believe me and then I have this expert in endometriosis telling me He's 99% sure. And why did he say that? Because the reason in the exam, when he was in the pain mapping, when he was pressing on me, he was saying like, those are spots where when you basically scream out like that, because, you know, suddenly touch it's so tender and painful. All of my patients that I've ever done that exam on have had endo on their bowels. So trigger point. Exactly. So I'm sure you have endo. And I was like, but what if I don't? Like, what if you do the surgery? And then I don't have endo. deep seated doubt. And then he said, you know, I'm probably just like, oh, my God, girl, you know, so I'm going to find it. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, he was like, yeah, we're going to find it. But what if you but what if you don't? But what if you don't? Like, what do you think I have if you do, if I don't? He's like, nothing else. You have endo. <laughs> you have 
You have endo. There's almost no way you do not. And guess what? I had endo. Surprise, let me, surprise. Let me, there was endo, baby. <laughs> let me tell you. So speaking with the doctor, we decided, well, we decided to do surgery, excision surgery to excise the endo and diagnose and explore at the same time. So he had me come back about a month later to do an ultrasound to see if they could see anything. It's pretty hard to see endometriosis on ultrasound anyway, so I was not expecting that they would find anything. Additionally, I had had an ultrasound with that other gynecologist like eight months earlier or something, and they hadn't seen anything on the ultrasound either. So I think I was just like, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. We're not going to find anything. In my mind, I'm still like, I don't know if I have endo. It was all just very doubtful. There was a lot of doubt. Like a lot. A lot. <laughs> like a lot. And then, so I went to the ultrasound. It was pretty cool because they had the screen. So where you lay down, they have, they have a screen up and you can see everything that the doctor can see. So he has his own, like, his own screen and then Gross you have. And fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome because it's like you're sitting there and you want to know, like I want to be really involved in my care. I want to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in action. It was, it was cool. So basically he began doing it and he's like, oh, I bet you're tired of all this endometriosis stuff and i was like yeah i mean i don't have endo at least not yet i guess Her i'm tired doubt is eternal i'm tired of it yeah i'm tired Part of whatever of, this I'm is tired of feeling like crap all the time but i don't know if it's endo and then he basically like i don't know the scan just didn't look like i've seen some scans and they're like gray and stuff but this is like circles on the scan and then he's like okay and then he like pulls out a little measuring thing and he like measures it he's like oh it looks here like we're looking at about a 12 by 8 by 5 centimeter. Um, That's like the size of my fist. 12 centimeters is, is the that's width huge. of a grapefruit. That's huge. Okay, that's really big. And he's like, we're looking at this 12 by 8 by 5 centimeter mass. Uh, Could be an endometrioma. Let's see. It looks like there's about three pockets of fluid in your abdomen here. Looks like your uterus is twisted and rotated to the back, probably from all the adhesions from the endo. Mm, I'd say, yeah, we're looking at stage four endo and most likely the loss of your left ovary. What? Wait, what? Uh, And it was literally like, (laughs) huh? But eight months ago, there was nothing on my my scans. (laughs) There was something, right? But I don't I don't believe that they because I asked in the right place. Well, how come eight months ago they didn't see anything on the scan? And he didn't say, and he doesn't know, but he's like, probably it was there, but they just, if they don't read the scan correctly, or, you know, if you don't have a full enough bladder, or that scans are very variables. Yeah. I mean, imaging is hard. And I think there's, there are people who, it's like every skill. So Mm -hmm. he's highly, highly skilled. And he was able to extract all that information from the scans. And maybe another person just, I think they just missed it. So I was like, huh? Floored. Yeah. I mean, it could, and I was literally, and it's so funny because actually, so I was like, I'm not going to cry. I'm just going to be really calm. And I remember then I just got really, like, I'm pretty out, you know, as maybe you noticed, I'm pretty loud and not going. <laughs> I just got really quiet and I was like, okay, uh huh. Oh, okay. It's like, I think we should schedule surgery sooner because I was going to do it like at a later date um, to coincide with the the summer and like my job and having more vacation time. He's like, I think we should do the surgery sooner. This endometrioma is really big. 
And I was like, are you, I just, what, what, huh? I can't, and that was literally like what was happening in my brain. (laughs) I left in a daze, completely shocked. I literally don't even know how I paid and got out of there because I feel like, I just felt like so, this is what I had wanted since, since I was 17 years old, right? Like all I had wanted was to be believed and to be validated and just to finally know what was causing that pain that when I had these debilitating periods that was making me literally fall on the ground, vomiting and screaming and writhing, okay? It has been so awful and no one ever found anything. I remember I got to the car and I was like, I can't, like I literally can't drive because I just feel so upset. And I could see these and I'm not violent. I'm a person who I meditate every day and I do yoga every day for years now. And I got to the car and I literally, I could feel my blood boiling. That is actually a really good expression because that that is how I actually physically felt. Like I felt hot all over. Like I was like, I'm going to explode out of my skin. And I could just feel this really deep rage rising up from inside of me. And I, I started to have these images. Like I imagine myself with this baseball bat and just taking the baseball bat and just slamming the bat into my car and like smashing the mirror and smashing the windshield, smashing everything. Probably really want to smash all these people's faces, but my car was there. But I didn't have a baseball bat. So don't worry. No one went psychopath on the car or and anything. And she called me instead and just screamed. It was fine. <laughs> I did. I was, yeah. and you were you were at work. The palpable I, rage. It was. You so were at extreme. work, and I was like, I need you go outside for a minute. I did. I and left like, out the front door. I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> and you were like, okay, well, just give me a second. And then, I mean, no one had ever listened to me. Countless doctors told me I had anxiety. I mean, oh, my period hurts. Oh, you have anxiety. Like that they, makes sense. They somehow. they embarrassed me. You know, they discredited me in front of family and friends and boyfriends who came with me during the visits. And they were telling me things like, oh, you can't have pain like that. And your symptoms are psychosomatic. They all told me, you're crying wolf when the wolf was real. And it was devouring me slowly over all these years. I mean, because no one listened to me, it got so bad that now suddenly you're telling me that I have stage four endo and I'm going to lose my left ovary? What is that? What really angers me is that two doctors even looked for endometriosis back when I was 15 years ago, when I was in my teens, and I was 19 and I was 20. And one doctor, I had all these ovarian cysts and they were chocolate cysts and they kept popping and coming back. And it was this long saga. And then we tried birth control, but then they keep growing. And then, you know, this doctor was like, oh, maybe you have endometriosis. And so she did a laparoscopy to try to find it. And she missed it. Probably I had stage one or stage two at that time. And she she missed it. I mean, endo can present itself in, it can be various colors. It can be on different organs. It can be in the bowels. It can be on the bladder. It can be on your ovaries. It can be missed by doctors who are not trained to see, especially I think the subtle beginning stages of endo. And that makes me feel so frustrated. That we we looked for something and I was told it wasn't there. And then when I was 20, I went to a different doctor, all my symptoms and the cysts and blah, blah, blah. And then this doctor 
was so misinformed, which I did not know at the time. I told him, oh, I had an exploratory laparoscopy to look for endo and it came back negative. And he like laughed in my face. And he was like, why would a doctor do a surgery on you to look for endo when you can diagnose it via an ultrasound? And I just did one on you and it's clear. So you don't have endo. And that's just, first of all, so wrong. That's just actually wrong. inaccurate. Just wrong. Inaccurate. Endo is very hard to see on the scans. Surgery is the gold standard for diagnosis. But you see that, can you see when I was like in my teens, the inflammation was very conflicting. One doctor says this, one doctor says that. Who do I believe? Then but then it, ultimately they both said, you don't have endo. The GI doctor at that time was colonoscopy, this, that test, you don't have anything. Everyone was, you don't have anything. So in my mind, I don't have anything. It's just how hard is it to live with symptoms that affect their quality of life, to live with pain that at times is crippling? And then living with that, and then I so, so deeply believed that there was nothing wrong with me. Like it was so deep in my veins that there's nothing wrong with me. And that makes me feel sad that I gave up advocating for myself. And it was only until things got so, so bad, like when I, around when I turned 30, like the pain started, those crippling pains started happening during sex. Just randomly sometimes? Yeah, just randomly. And like I really managed my symptoms through lifestyle and diet. And then a lot of these foods that had always been safe for me, and I, I follow anti-inflammatory diet. And so these foods, just like regular foods that had been safe for me, were beginning to cause ripping cramps. I was like, what is happening? And that pushed me to go back to the doctor. Just to go from thinking I have nothing, and then to have this fist-sized mass, and then to take it even further. So the mass was so big. I mean, it was 12 centimeters long. Like, my goodness. So the endospecialist asked me to take some, a couple of blood tests to show cancer markers. I wasn't too worried, but then they came back highly elevated. So basically they called me and they said, you know, your tests are highly elevated. We don't think it's cancer, but we cannot rule it out. So... I was referred to a gynecological oncologist that they work very closely with. I was really concerned too because I was like, oh my gosh, I have searched high and low to find this endospecialist who I feel very comfortable and confident with his skill and his expertise as my doctor. And now I'm being referred to a doctor who I know nothing about. So of course, I researched about this surgeon and he was wow, he was really just like the endo specialist, very highly credentialed. You know, he was a teacher in his field. He a just great track record. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I showed you his website and I was like, okay, this is the guy. Like I feel really, I feel confident. And when I went to the, the appointment with him, he explained with, about the surgery to remove the mass intact, to send it to pathology. Testing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To see what it was. So that's what we decided. And unfortunately, I would have to remove my ovary with it. And, you know, I said, well, what if like, what if you get in there and it's just covered in endo? Where are the limits of your surgery? And he was basically like, excision surgery is very tricky. That is not my expertise. All I'm going to do is I'm going to go in. I'm going to remove the mass intact. I'm going to take some photos and, and look around so for your endo specialist. But I'm not going to touch 
anything. Thank God. Yeah, and I was really pleased about that. Mm -hmm. It's like you're within your boundaries and you're not overstepping. And I, I was very impressed by this surgeon, just by everything. So yeah, two weeks later, I had the surgery to remove the mass. I mean, those two weeks were like, that was the worst time of my life. Thinking Scariest. that, yeah, like thinking that I might have cancer and that just in two weeks, my whole life could turn upside down. It's been really, really hard. So it's like going from, oh, you nothing wrong with you, anxiety, hypochondriac, hysteria, to you might have cancer and we need to remove the mass and your ovaries. Like what we, how did A go to like Z? Th- no, like <laughs> alphabet that's not even there. Like the letter after Z. Z, 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 You know, like how did that happen? So then I had the surgery and really luckily it was not cancer. Brittany came to support me and pick me up and give me tons of get well cards. And she decorated my cube at work and oh, she got me flowers and she was literally the best. And she's like, hi, you have no more. You only have one ovary. It's not cancer. <laughs> she was real groggy. It was And funny. then I woke up and I was like, do I have endo? Show me the pictures. <laughs> literally. And right? I showed her. And, and I was like, like, I don't think it's endo still. Ice. And when you get out ice of recovery, chip. I was like, ice chip. Ice chip. Do I have endo? <laughs> Put the freaking ice in my mouth. My mouth is dry. No. I spoon fed her ice. That's how much As I love her. As she showed me the picture, she's like, this is endo. I was like, are you sure? Yes. <laughs> That was real life. <laughs> the doubt, people. I mean, seriously. I'm sure you can relate. Ser- serious <laughs> doubt, okay? That surgery recovery, that was mega hard. It took three weeks to be able to get back to work. My abdomen was so stiff. And once I went back to work, I was so fatigued for weeks. I was taking naps in my car at lunch. And then sometimes Brittany has an office now. Good job, promotion. Yay. <laughs> it, not me, but her. <laughs> And so, yeah, and then I would like when she went on her lunch break, I had like pillows and we'd set up a whole thing. We even had bubble wrap and I would lay on it. Oh, my God. And she would like help. I had a kit in my office. She would like help me down to the floor because I was so like stiff and I tuck her in and I couldn't bend. And I'd be like, "Okay, put my blanket around me. Can you? And then I like couldn't reach my feet. So I'd be like, roll under her head, like put my toes in, put my socks on. It's cold in the office, right? I'm like, put my socks on me because now that I'm laying down, I can't reach my feet because I literally couldn't because I couldn't. She couldn't like bend. That surgery recovery I didn't was... opt to have her as a child, but I got her anyway. <laughs> I am Brittany's child. <laughs> My uterus is your child. Yes, apparently. So, but yeah, that was really hard. And so they, the gynecological oncologist, he diagnosed me with stage four endometriosis. And so when I went back to my endospecialist, then we decided to do excision surgery basically four months after the first surgery. So it was like I started feeling better like three months later. And then a month later, it was like, and then let's do it again. It was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you can like lift things and go to the grocery store and like surgery time. <laughs> OK, yeah, great. <laughs> OK. So I went ahead and I had the excision surgery. And that was just three and a half weeks ago. And that surgery went really well. And I was very pleased because, oh, my God, I didn't feel half as bad (laughs) as the way I felt when I had the mass and the ovary out. I think that was just a much harder shock to my body. The endospecialist worked with a colorectal surgeon that I had previously met, and they managed to excise about 95% of my endo. And when I went to the post-op appointment and saw those photos... Those photos are shocking. 
first, I mean, I thought the ultrasound was shocking, right? Like, oh, it's stage four and you're going to lose your ovary. And this. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then I thought the whole like it might be cancer, bye bye ovary was shocking. But my abdominal cavity, it was horrifying. So, Brittany, you just saw the photos. Finally. I paused this and now we're back. So you just saw the photos of, like, 25 photos of my endo. But you think it's real. But, okay, what'd you think? That was the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. It was so great. <laughs> no, it was gross, right? It was disgusting. Like, it was literally disgusting. Your body should not look like that. Don't call my body disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> She's a beautiful woman. Female power, Brittany. <laughs> I'm not disgusting. No, but the endo's disgusting. Okay, I, I can go with that. To see all of the tissue, especially compared to like what healthy tissue looks like, all like puckered and twisted. This is the non-healthy different tissue. texture that's not supposed to be there. The endo was black and looked like mold all over your abdominal cavity. And it was some of it was big, right? These they were huge, big black yeah. spots. I was like, wow, okay, that's giant. What did you think of the hanging sack oh of my gosh. liquid? She had a bunch of hanging sacks of liquid, Whatever. filled with like mystery liquid. <laughs> Whatever those are. <laughs> they were, one, hilarious, also two, disturbing. Um, they were literally hanging like... Imagine was, like, like uvulas everywhere in your body. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was thinking like a punching bag. Yeah, that's kind of what Like a like. liquid punching bag. Yeah, just hanging out. Just hanging just off the uterus. hanging there in various locations. Yeah. Uh, snip those right off. <laughs> Seeing like the black and the red textured spots like everywhere. When all the adhesions. All the adhesions. Tissue that shouldn't have been there that had grown from the endometriosis. Like, oh, yeah, that's not supposed to be there. So my colon was fused by adhesions to my back pelvic wall. And the doctor said, I don't know how you were going to the bathroom because every time that stool had to pass through your colon, it had to stretch and expand because of all the adhesions had gotten like the opening had gotten smaller. That just, explains the knife butt every time you had to poop. Yeah. <laughs> that and explains the, the, the glass and, shards going through you every time you had to poop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just. It's, it, it was, was extreme. It was extreme. It was a mess in there. Mm -hmm. And would it be weird, you know, if I took those photos and I hung them in like one of those collage frames that hold like 15 photos? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be weird. But I would not support you. <laughs> I don't know. A reminder I mean, of to how it was. Well, No, no, it's just no, it's the validation. It's mm -hmm. like part of me just wants to frame the post-op report that says Stage four endometriosis, chronic inflammation, puckering, scarring. <laughs> yeah, like part of me just wants to take that and, and frame it and just because you know why? What I felt all these years was real. So if we do this, do we like give tours and say, here's my diploma. Here's pictures <laughs> of my family. Here's a photo of my diagnosis of stage four endometriosis. Here's a picture of my cat. <laughs> Is that like how your wall is going to be now? <laughs> Probably the cat would be first. Yes. And foremost. Uh, obviously. I was and going backwards. The endo. Yeah, I was going backwards. It's fine. <laughs> or I could have a picture. I could like take a picture of the cat with the picture of the endo. No, no, that's too far. <laughs> that's too far. <laughs> but like, I don't know, just for me, I, I know all these years that I am not crazy. And I learned to live with my severe symptoms and I learned to like I just learned to trust that there was something wrong with me but we didn't know what it was but you tried to manage I just yeah I tried to manage and I I came to the point where I was like okay I I don't know what's wrong with me I just I'm very sensitive I have 
food intolerances, like I have bad periods. I'm not crazy. And I knew it wasn't crazy all these years. You know, it's like, that's what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is like, I knew it wasn't crazy. But like, nice I, my, gut, my gut said, <laughs> okay, you're not crazy because you're really feeling this. And then like, I changed my diet, still had all the problems with my period. And then I began doing yoga and like tackling the mental side and doing meditation. And then I still had the problems. And it's like all these years I've been taking steps and the problems have just been getting worse. And that made it so frustrating to me because it's like, okay, well, if they're not real, they should be getting better. And then. Yeah. And then here are these photos with these spots of endo all over my everything. And my bowel was stuck to the back wall. And it's proof. It's real. It's finally visual confirmed proof. I am going to frame those photos. All right. Do it. <laughs> no, maybe. No, I'm not. I, maybe I will. Well, I don't know. Frame them and leave them at home. Don't put them in the office. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> at least not my office. <laughs> you know, I feel I feel disappointed. And I feel frustrated and I feel angry. All of these years, how could all these doctors brush off and ignore my symptoms, my very severe symptoms? And I told them how severe it was. Like, how could they brush me off and tell me I had anxiety and tell me I was a hypochondriac? And I feel angry that in this world, having such a devastating illness that really affected my quality of life, my sex life, the food that I ate, how much I could sleep every night, every single aspect of my life was affected by this disease. And still, I had to fight so hard and I had to advocate so hard to get diagnosed and then get proper care. And that angers me so much. That's what this podcast episode is about. It's about my anger. <laughs> well, it's about anger for you and anger for other people who are listening that are experiencing the same exact thing. It's not fair. It's not acceptable. It's inappropriate. It's not fair. I mean, already, it's like having this illness, having this having an illness is not fair, but that's something in life that, that we, ha- we cannot change, right? Like we have to, I'm working to accept that I have this illness and I have these symptoms. But we have the right to fair treatment. But I just feel like how much easier could my life have been if I had found Mm -hmm. expert care sooner, if I had known that expert care existed, and if any of these doctors I went to had been in my corner advocating for me. And that's what frustrates me. The treatment, the being laughed at, being told it wasn't tough enough, you know, being told it was in my head, I was making it up. Well, those photos, I was not making that up. It makes me feel hurt inside. Obviously and understandably so, because to be told you're wrong your whole life and then to be like, okay, well, I guess I am. Nobody believes me. Nobody supports me. Nobody advocates for me. These doctors who are supposed to be the ones who help me won't help me. So what am I supposed to do? That's so disappointing and isolating. And it's so hard for everybody who is struggling with endometriosis symptoms to get somebody to take them seriously is really hard. Like what really is heartbreaking for me is just how like how lonely the journey has been for me, which is part of the reason why I started this podcast is like I just want to I just want to get talking about all these emotions that I've been feeling because I have felt so alone over the years. And it's not to say that there weren't some people who supported me and who were there for me. But there were also a lot of people who who just brushed me off and just not only doctors, but friends, coworkers, teachers who actively abandoned you. It's it's been a very lonely journey. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I think without an official name for my illness, it's been hard to to get support. 
I feel sad for for me and for the people living this story. I feel sad for me when I was younger because college and I mean even high school, I was terrified of my periods, mocked by my friends. I was broken up with boyfriends, you know, throughout college, like in my early 20s because I was always sick and maybe they found my problems to be too much and I get that. I mean, it's really hard when you're young, like it's really hard when you're 17, 19, 20. 22 years old, people want to have fun and, and they're like living a different reality than I was living with my chronic pain and debilitating pain and pooping myself and nausea. It was really hard. And so over the years, I just began to withdraw into myself. It's like putting on this fake smile while inside I'm just growing like emptier and sadder and more lonely and, you know, not reaching out to anyone. You know, now I'm at 33 years old. I had the confidence and I think the maybe the education to advocate for myself. I've been to college now. I've traveled. I've had more life experience. I'm not this scared, timid 17-year-old girl that I was at that time. That girl was so unsure of herself. Being in pain, like in general, I find pain to be a very lonely place. Like even when my period comes and I'm in raging pain and it's so great when, for example, I have a boyfriend, I have a boyfriend now. So I'm saying compared to like when I'm single and I've been like totally alone during my period. So it's it's so great when I have my boyfriend and he's there and I'm on the toilet and I'm pooping and I'm puking in a bucket and I'm sobbing and I'm screaming and then I'm screaming at him like, bring me chamomile tea. And then he's coming and I'm like, I want you <laughs> little like change my puke bugger, you know and I turn into kind of a raging monster one but who doesn't when they're not a pain you can't control like it's just you're just struggling to survive and even when he's there like pain it's a really lonely place like he's right there and he's helping and he's the best but I'm alone in this place of pain like it's just me who's having crippling pain it's even worse like it's even darker and more hopeless when no one believes you, when you lack support. And I think this really highlights the importance of like there are things in life that are so difficult and they're so much bigger than us and we can't face them alone. We need each other for support and for strength. And I remember there was a time when I was 25 and I was feeling very alone and very hopeless and I even began to think in one moment about suicide because it was just, it felt so hard to be alive. Everything was, at that time, everything was so painful for me. Like pooping was painful. Peeing was painful. I was peeing myself all the time. I was having a really hard time. Like I had uncontrollable diarrhea. I felt like I couldn't eat anything. I was in chronic pain. Sex was painful. My periods were debilitating. I couldn't sleep from all the like body pain and the fibro pain. It, it was a mess. And then I think now about how I got a diagnosis and I've got to have excision surgery and he got rid of 95% of the endo and I have this hope that I'm going to feel better. And I think back in these previous years where I had no hope, I just, I feel, I feel, I just, I don't know how I feel. I feel all these feelings. I feel, I just feel sad and I feel enraged and I feel very sad that it just took this long to get diagnosed. And it's so sad that we it takes so long to be believed and to get the diagnosis and then to find expert care to help us. And we shouldn't have to live our lives in so much pain. I think the greatest takeaway from what you're feeling right now 
is that you realize and recognize that you found hope and hope exists and it doesn't have to be like that forever. And it isn't going to be like that anymore. Hopefully we'll find out. But the point is, is that when you're suffering from these symptoms, it feels like there's no end to them, but it doesn't have to be that way. There could be a way to make it better. There could be a way to actually remove some of the problem and to have some relief from the symptoms. There is hope. There are ways to help to feel better. It doesn't have to be like that forever. You're right. I mean, yes, it's very hopeful. And the thing is, like, I do feel happy now after this surgery. Like, I feel like my doctor, he's very skilled and he's an expert in care. And they got 95% of the endo. And I no, I do. I feel happy for myself. And I do feel hope. And, you know, the doctor was clear. They can't say if it's going to make you feel better or no. Like a lot do feel better after excision surgery, but then for other can take longer. Or like I know in my case, I have a lot of very high inflammation, which is why those cancer markers came back highly elevated. And so I have a lot of fibromyalgia pain and I have pain in my fingers when my period comes. And, and your so, teeth and your feet and your oh, ankles. Yeah. And, yeah. and my teeth. Yeah. I mean, and her teeth. No joke. <laughs> my, my freaking front teeth go numb when I get my period. So, yeah. And so all of that, it's just it takes time for the body to readjust. Now that all that tissue is out, it's it's a process and it mm-hmm. takes time. I do have hope. I just I want to say to everyone out there listening, because I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in your endo journey. Like, I don't know if you are struggling to be diagnosed. I don't know if you've just been diagnosed and, you know, you're feeling lost or maybe you've also had excision surgery like me. I don't know where you are, but I I just want to say I do know that it can be so hard to find the strength inside to face something unbearable. Like for me, my period pain, like those cramps, those those are unbearable. It's just so hard. It's hard to all those years it's it's just hard to find the strength to face something that you consider unbearable when everyone is telling you that it's not real. And I think that's what breaks my heart. Like we face these realities that can be so difficult. And then we have people saying, whether it's doctors or friends or family or whoever, just just people saying like your pain isn't real. It's like my pain is so ridiculously real. And how am I supposed to face it and find strength to, to face this pain when you're telling me that I just need to be tougher or that it can't hurt that bad? And that really, that just, oh, that makes me feel really angry. And I just, I really want to get the word out that, I don't know, that we're really strong. And I think that all of this has really begun to show me that I'm actually a lot stronger, like I'm actually a lot stronger than I thought myself to be. Just hearing other stories, like going into Nancy's Nook, the endometriosis education Facebook group, and seeing the stories of others who literally have the same story, more or less, you know, it's a struggle to get diagnosed, a struggle to find good care, and then having excision surgery and like feeling hope. It's like my story is one of hundreds and thousands. And that also has been giving me strength and making me realize I can do this. So when I was recovering from surgery, I was thinking about all these other who are also recovering from surgery or who have recovered from endosurgery or who are going to recover from endosurgery. And I was just thinking, literally, physically, I'm alone right now. Like, well, the first week my mom came and then and she cooked for me and cleaned and she was the best. And she she petted my cat. And, <laughs> oh, my mommy. And then after about a week, 
she left and I was okay to be alone. And, and then I was alone for the next week. And, and so physically I was alone, but you know, it's funny. I no longer felt alone, if that makes sense. I like hearing all these stories. I just, I really said we are so strong and maybe we don't realize that, or maybe we like knew that once and then we forget it. Or maybe people are telling us like, oh, you're, you know, toughen up. You're not, you can't face your pains. Like, no, we are so strong to go through these experiences. Month after month, after month, after month, or constantly. It's incredible. Thank you, Brittany. (laughs) When we think about like, Intense pain for some people, intense pain is short, but to know that that pain is coming every single month is more than just strong. It's more because to endure something is strength, but to know it's coming and to stand in its face is way more than what most people are capable of. That was beautiful. But you guys, I mean, you guys are warriors. That's really what it comes down to because you stand in the face of that screaming army coming towards you your period coming <laughs> towards you and you stand there and you fight it the and marching endometrial like yeah <laughs> tissue it's like chum, 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 chum. i'm coming That's what I'm coming, it's like. I'm coming i'm coming i'm coming and you, you stand you. there and you know it's coming and you take it and well, i don't know if, i don't know if we it. i don't know if someone would stand there i think if you some could of us run you would <laughs> drop no but some drop to the ground writhing and screaming yeah, probably. Yeah, it hurts. <laughs> but you endure it and you fight back we are warriors. And I like that. The endo warrior. I mean, en- endo strong. It's just. They're accurate. And to me, they're just beautiful because I don't know, at least for me, it's like I lived with so much doubt and I doubted myself. And I really in my late, my early 20s and my teens, like I really lacked confidence. And like, I just really grew to, to kind of, I mean, to hate myself, like to hate myself for having this disease or for, I didn't know I had this disease. So for having these symptoms that no one knew what they were, like I felt totally inadequate. I don't know. There was just a lot of really negative feelings towards myself for, for not being healthy and like not being normal, which is why this diagnosis has been so liberating. I mean, it's literally solved the mystery that's been hanging over me for half of my life. For half of my life, I've been, you know, wondering what is wrong with me. Endo is what's wrong with me. <laughs> and maybe some other things. I, I mean, there's probably more, let's be real. <laughs> and some other things. To finish off the story about all my feelings and my diagnosis and my pictures and blah, blah, blah. What I wish I had known 10 years ago is that, that we have to advocate for ourselves and we have to educate ourselves about this disease about what it is and our treatment options so that just we can make the best informed decision. I feel now like hope was out there, but I didn't know. I feel hopeful right now. Time will tell, but I feel hopeful. And I didn't feel that for years. I think in addition to educating and advocating yourself, it's also great to empower yourself. That's what we hope that we can help you do is to feel like you have power and you have power over your health, and you have power over your hope, and you can empower yourself through education and through feeling confident. And we just want to help support you and be here for you, especially if you feel like you don't have anybody to help advocate for you or be in your corner. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about this, because Amy for so long had nobody to support her or to understand what she was experiencing. And I can only understand a small portion, but even that small bit of support, I feel, has helped her so much. And I wish that and I could give that to so support, many people. And all your support, Brittany. <laughs> it feels good to be able to understand what each other is going through. So 
we encourage you to share your stories with us and reach out to us. We really do care and we really do want to help you on your journey to finding the next step or finding relief or finding hope or finding a good perspective. Whatever it is you're searching for, we really want to be a part of it. Finally, I just want to say, like, I really, in terms of educating and empowering yourself, like, I really cannot recommend enough Nancy's Nook endometriosis education. I know I mentioned that earlier on, and I'm not affiliated with them or anything. I'm just like a regular member of the group. That's where I really learned to empower myself. I just like learned all these things that I had no idea that I needed to learn everything about what the disease is to treatment options to how to find a doctor. And then you can just you can take that knowledge, then you can go out there in the real world, not the Facebook internet world, but like the <laughs> real world, the big scary world that no one wants to be in. <laughs> okay. But, you know, you can take that and you can go out there and you can find care that is good for you. We are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo and we are on the website in16years.com. And don't forget that all the sources that we consulted to make this episode and all of our episodes is on our resources tab on our website. And there you can find links to reputable resources to learn about endometriosis, as well as resources for gut health, mindfulness, meditation, histamine intolerance, and even books that I've loved and that have really influenced me. So definitely check out our resources page so that you can empower yourself about this disease. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be here next time. <laughs>